Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Seabury Capital Group. Global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com. Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. HotelConnections.com. And Boyd Group's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. We're going to find out just how good a sense of humor he really has based on something I'm about to say during the first story. He's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Interesting. Well, he's tried to save money on airplanes in every way, including once asking his wife to travel as his emotional support partner. He's NPR's <laughs> here and now transportation analyst, Seth Kaplan. Hey, better than like an emotional support peacock or something. Right? <laughs> and we're pushing right. back from the gate. This is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Uh, today, we're going to talk about whether there's any middle ground in the battle over how many seats to sell on board an aircraft. And can you guess which airline supplies this week's passenger behaving badly? If I have to ask, you already know the answer. But first, <laughs> let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. I don't need many guesses. Well, the big four U.S. airlines continue to have two very different policies about blocking middle seats. And at least one U.S. senator, Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon, was so angry after being on a recent packed flight that he wants blocked middle seats to be the law of the land. Uh, so he's introducing legislation to that effect. It's a controversial topic. In fact, one loudmouth jerk wrote this comment on LinkedIn. This bill is needless regulation that doesn't reflect the science or the economics of the problem. That jerk's name, by the way, is... Oh, wait, I didn't mean jerk. I meant genius. The person who wrote that... Is a genius, none other than my co-host, Ben Baldanza. <laughs> now, Ben, I guess we already know how you feel about this, but I want to break it apart because there are kind of two different issues here. And I wonder which it is that really bothers you more. I think there's the question of whether blocking the middle seat helps. And then a separate question of whether that should be regulated or whether it should just be up to the airlines and we can all decide which airline to fly based on their policies. So which is it that you have the bigger problem with? Or I guess I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Is it one or the other or is it both? It's it's kind of both. Let me first start by asking you a question, Seth. Yeah. If somebody's standing next to you, not wearing a mask, and you're not wearing a mask, and they're, say, two inches from you and they sneeze, you're probably going to feel somewhat at risk, right? Yeah. Now, say they step a huge 18 inches away from you and they sneeze. Are you going to feel any less nervous? See, I think there's some nuance here. I know what you want me to say, but <laughs> I, I think like it's not like let's put it this way. Uh, no, like I don't want them sneezing 18 inches away from me without a mask, of course. Right. But eh, I shouldn't interrupt you. I'll let you keep going. And then no, we'll but my point is that middle seats are an emotional issue. They're not a science issue because neither – an empty middle seat does not create social distancing the way the CDC says we should social distance. Masks help a lot. 
and airlines are all requiring masks and airlines are increasing enforcement on masks. And the interesting thing about this, Seth, is that nowhere else in the world, other than the United States, are people talking about blocking middle seats. It's just a United yeah. States issue. No, that and, and that's, it's an emotional issue. It's not a scientific or right. economics issue. Right, but can we all agree that like, you know, the six feet thing or the two meters thing in other countries, which of course two meters isn't exactly six feet. I mean, we're all rounding, right? So like somewhere between six feet and 18 inches, right? Like like it's not like five feet, 11 inches is the same as nothing, right? I mean, I mean, there's some, you know, rounding here, right? And, 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 and more has to be better than less, right? Well, but yes, I guess the but- question is whether it's helpful enough to be worth the cost of it. Well, I think the point is, is that on an airplane, there's a bunch of things going on that are good in a sense. If you're wearing a mask, the air is flowing vertically from top to bottom, which is great. The yep. air is all HEPA filtered, which is proven to remove 99.9 or something like that of the particles, including those from sneezes. Everybody's facing forward. You're facing into a seat or a bulkhead in front of you. And all of those things are so much more important than whether you're 18 inches. And 18 inches is on an Airbus. It's only 17 inches if it's (laughs) right? (laughs) Or a Boeing airplane. And let me say something else. A lot of the planes flying in the U.S. are just two-by-two seating because they're regional jets. And I don't hear anyone saying block half the seats on those airplanes so no one can sit together. So why is it? Just the three by three airplanes or the two by three that have a middle seat in them that people want blocked. But if they're in a window in an aisle, they don't mind sitting next to each other. Yeah. And United is the airline that's kind of gone the farthest towards saying officially what you've said. They've called it a PR stunt, what Delta and Southwest continue doing, blocking middle seats through at least the end of September right now. You know, I guess for me, I mean, my feeling is all things being equal. Would I rather have the middle seat next to me empty than not? Well, I mean, comfort-wise, of course I would. But, you know, or would I rather have 100 people on the plane instead of 150 people? Yeah, I would. I I guess all things are rarely equal, right? Because then, and people ask me just in my own life, okay, should I fly, you know, Delta instead of American, that kind of thing? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Again, all things being equal, there's that, I keep saying it, but that's kind of the key, right? Is it a nonstop flight on one airline compared to a nonstop flight on another or are you going to connect to fly Delta or Southwest rather than a nonstop flight on American and you're passing through another airport and you're in the aggregate around more people because you're on you know, two flights instead of one and all that? It's, it's tricky, man. This well, is, uh... But, you know, there are four well-known airlines in the U.S., Delta, JetBlue, Southwest, and Alaska, all who are voluntarily saying we're going to block middle seats. Yeah, and, and, and Delta- I should point that out when I'm saying Delta and Southwest, I'm I'm just talking of the four largest. But you're right, Alaska and JetBlue are both doing their own their own. And in fact, yeah, JetBlue is somehow with the two by two thing. They're doing something with that, right? Where yeah, they're, they're, they're blocking, blocking aisle seats, seats on those yeah, airplanes too. Yeah, no, that's right. And I'll tell you what I really think is going on here, Seth. I think some airlines, those that are selling all seats, which include American, United, Spirit, Frontier, among others, maybe Allegiant, Allegiant, yeah, yeah. and. I think those airlines are just thinking about the short game. They're thinking, look, over the next 30, 60 days, I can make more money if I sell all my seats, and that's great. And they're not thinking about the effect long-term on airline demand. Now, let me ask you another question, Seth. Mm -hmm. If um, 
we were meeting for the first time, or maybe we've been good friends for a long time, either one. But we, we meet up and I just say, hey, I just got off an American Airlines plane and the plane was jam packed full. And I saw a couple of people fiddling with their masks and boy, it was jammed. And you were already a little skittish about flying. Is that going to make you less skittish or maybe more skittish? Probably more skittish. Okay, I mean, I realized that if, was if very not, it's, it's, it's not going to, yeah, it's, it's not going to make me feel any better about <laughs> okay. it. That's for sure. Okay, now say, hey, I just got off this Delta plane, this Delta flight, and you know, I had nobody sitting next to me, and the flight attendants made a big point about nobody getting in everybody's face when we got off the plane and everything, and I actually really felt like I felt safe on that airplane. Now... If you felt skittish before, I'm not going to say you're going to jump out and go buy a ticket, but I bet that would make you feel a little bit better, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd feel better. I mean, so, so the point is, I think the airlines that are playing the short game, just get the revenue now, are missing the fact that the number one important thing the airline industry has to do right now is get confidence back in the flying consumer. So when United says it's a PR stunt, your answer is, well, okay, but that, but that might be that might not be a bad thing. No, I think that's right. But I think what yeah. Delta and, and JetBlue and Southwest and Alaska, those who are voluntarily blocking, I think what they're saying is, look, we know not that many people are traveling right now. So blocking the seats doesn't cost us that much money because we don't have that many flights that are really that full. And number two, we want everyone to have a great experience when they fly right now, because since the whole country is nervous about flying, we want everyone who gets off a plane to say that was a great experience, because we think that that's going to make all the demand come back sooner when everybody's experience right now is really good. So I think they've decided that individual consumer experiences on airplanes today have sort of an outsized impact on how long it'll take the industry to recover. And the Americans and Uniteds of the world, I'm not sure if they even thought about that. They might just be thinking, we don't care. We don't think what we do today affects the long-term demand. And I'm not saying either one's right or wrong. I'm just saying that some of them are thinking about the short term and some are playing the little longer game of let's let's make everybody comfortable with flying again. And it's okay to leave a tiny bit of money on the table right now. And I say tiny because it's not like most planes are packed a tiny bit of money on the table to make everybody feel really great about flying so that when they tell everybody about their trips, they have a great experience. I think that's kind of what's happening right now. And you've got half the industry doing it and half not doing it. And probably some of whatever they're leaving on the table as a starting point is mitigated by a little bit of share shift, right? Because like I said, I mean, that would, all things being equal, uh, like I said, I'm not sure I should connect on Delta rather than flying nonstop on American and all of that. But would I fly nonstop on Delta today instead of American, all things being equal, similar fare, similar schedule? Yeah, I would, right? And so would some number of other people. So I think Delta probably in the aggregate is leaving money on the table in Southwest and JetBlue and Alaska, but then they recover some of that at least from the person who's you know, who's willing to fly those airlines. And look, American and United and others, uh, I'm sure part of what they're thinking is, look, we're furloughing employees. We're doing all these painful things. The last thing we can do is is leave money on the table, right? That's that absolutely another way to think of it, especially when, as you said, you look around the world and see uh, other airlines doing the same thing. Well, or, or filling all the seats on the airplane if they're able to. Well, Ben, for people who truly believe getting there is half the fun, how about a trip to, quite literally, nowhere? That's exactly what Sungshan Airport in Taiwan is offering. Reuters says passengers got boarding passes and proceeded through security and immigration before 
boarding an Airbus A330 of Taiwan's largest carrier, China Airlines, where flight attendants chatted with them. Now, who would want to do such a thing? Apparently, 7,000 people. That's how many people entered. I'm serious. Entered a random drawing to be one of just 60 very lucky people to be chosen for this experience. Yes, Ben, just what I've always dreamed of, a chance to deal with all the hassles of air travel without actually getting to enjoy a destination. (laughs) Well, I laughed so hard when I saw this. The fact that there would be demand or that people either (laughs) miss traveling so much that they just want the experience of waiting in lines and getting a boarding pass and actually boarding a plane, even if they don't go anywhere. I wonder if some of the people are people who were really maybe scared to fly and they thought, well, this is a way I can see what it, what I would really feel like when I get on the plane without the risk it'll actually take off or, or what it was. But I, w- I was just amazed. And, you know, the optimist in me says this is great for airline demand because people really want to fly again. And as soon as they feel confident, they're going to do it. On the other hand, I thought that's so odd that 7,000 people signed up for this. <laughs> Maybe you just you make something free and people don't even think about value. Right? <laughs> They're just like what, like, what am I getting? But and, and, and yeah, it's so successful that Reuters says that they're actually going to do this again because, hey, you hate to turn away that many people. Well, well for some people, it's going to be better than just sitting at home, right? At least yeah, you can go do something and tell people <laughs> do, about it. <laughs> do something, absolutely. Well, Ben, you saw the inbox this week. We have a, a couple of great listener questions. And first, we want to quickly thank Seabury Capital Group, a specialty finance and investment banking firm who boasts a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace, and defense, maritime, financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. And just a reminder, you know, I keep seeing these notices event after event around the world, not just airline industry events being canceled this year. Uh, So the International Aviation Forecast Summit from the Boyd Group in Cincinnati, August 23rd to 25th, all the more special. It's on. It's happening. Uh, They're going to take care of all the social distancing measures and all the rest of it. Sanitation, uh, obviously, top of mind. Their extra early rates for the general public have expired, but even A better rate for Airlines Confidential listeners is still valid. Uh, The promo code is AC1550, AC1550. Go on their website or you just go on our website, airlinesconfidential.com. You'll see the banner there. Click through and you can get the best rate for what is now uh, not only one of the best conferences in the world, but also this year. One of the only ones. Uh, Going to be a special event. I'm looking forward to, to being there. Well, uh, to the mailbag now, John from Dallas writes, Great job, guys, on the recent podcasts, even if we miss Seth's singing. Hmm. Should I, do, I need, do I need to repeat that? Or no? I'll keep reading. <laughs> he did say, if we miss. Not that even we miss. miss. That's true. Well, you, can, you, can, you can misinterpret that however you want. All I read from that is a strong request from John for me to start singing again. But I'm not prepared to do that this week. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that maybe uh, next week and, and generate all kinds of new messages uh, with people. <laughs> Just as strong as people's convictions are about middle seats and masks, they, they feel that way about my singing. Well, uh, back to John's message here. He says, curious about your opinions from the recent View from the Wing piece 
regarding American Airlines possibly restoring seatback entertainment in their economy cabin. Curious specifically as to whether you think this is a good idea for American and other carriers. Granted, that question is different for every carrier. Southwest does just fine without it, but other airlines seem to think they get a re- revenue premium from it. Okay, a few things here. So first of all, he's referencing View from the Wing. That's Gary Left's blog. There was a piece in there actually citing uh, a guy on Twitter, John NYC is, 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 uh, is his name, who's a, a chronic leaker of information from American Airlines, who, is, as Gary notes, uh, just, just happens to kind of get it right a lot. You know, it's rumored, it's hearsay, but it's from, a, from somebody who has been credible in the past. As Gary notes uh, in his piece, gosh, hard to imagine that on some levels, but again, this guy has some credibility. Ben, okay, so seatback in-flight entertainment, so much to talk about here. I mean, we could fill in a whole episode, really, just just with this. Obviously, great disagreement among airlines, including among similar kinds of airlines, right? So it's one thing to say, okay, JetBlue has the seatback screens. Of course it does. That was a major part of its brand, for you know, two decades now, it was innovative launching sort of seatback live uh, TV in flight. And of course, okay, Spirit's not going to have it, right? That might be obvious. But it, it's not that simple. I mean, JetBlue has it and Alaska doesn't. Alaska's, you know, in many ways a similar airline to JetBlue. And Delta very much makes seatback television a, 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 an integral part of its brand. But American is, is getting rid of it. United's getting rid of it. And in Americans' case, more specifically, for a while, up until a few years ago, they had continued with Seatback TV, continued taking new deliveries of aircraft with Seatback TV, even though you could kind of tell they didn't necessarily believe in it, but they were basically just matching Delta. And if Delta was going to do it, they were going to do that too. I would say that kind of changed a little after Scott Kirby left American for United. Now, United, again, they're... they're doing the same thing, but in terms of getting rid of seatback TV, but that's when American kind of threw its hands up and and seemed to, again, this is me characterizing their thoughts via their actions, seemed to say, look, this just isn't worth it. Too many people are just watching whatever's on their phone or tablet anyway. We're wasting money on these screens. And Ben, I, you know, I've seen it. I've gotten a JetBlue flight over the past few years. I, I like having the screen personally, but I do see people. There's that big expensive screen, the screen, the weight of the screen, the, the licensing fees for the TV, and there's somebody just watching their phone instead. So, so help me here. Help me. Are airlines getting a revenue premium? Should American Airlines, after going away from it, go back to it if they're really thinking about this? Is somebody right? Is somebody wrong? It's such an expensive op, uh, proposition. It feels like it, right? It feels like somebody got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong about this, at least between similar airlines, right? At least even if, sure, we can understand JetBlue wanting to do something that Spirit doesn't want to do. Well, if I were still in high school, Seth, I would say, American, pick up your phone. 2003 is calling. (laughs) (laughs) That's how the kids kids say it, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, I, I actually think it's crazy that American would actually reinstall or put back in Seatbacking. I understand why certain airlines have it and do it, but the thought that that would be a return on investment positive expense is crazy. The money they would spend on the screens, the money they would spend on the weight of those screens, on pushing content through those screens versus the number, what they'll get paid to do that either by advertisers who are going to say, I'll, I'll spend money to put something in front of your customers or by customers saying, I'll pay to watch this movie or something like that, I think is 
it's clearly just a a marketing positioning or a revenue premium, right? That would be the third way, right? Either, yeah, yeah, either, but- either customers swiping your credit card, an advertiser's paying, or people are booking Delta or JetBlue or whatever other airline because they like the screen. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have it in 2020, there's no reason to add it, I think. Yeah. If you have it and you're marketing it and it's part of who you are, then keep it. I think for, for airlines like Delta and JetBlue, that makes some sense, right? But it's just so odd that everybody brings at least one and usually two or three screens with them on the plane. So the fact that the airplane has to provide that, I mean, it'd be much easier and cheaper and less weight on the plane to say, we're going to push content to your device. Yeah. And that's kind of what Southwest did. You know, they, they sort of, it's funny, uh, sometimes their conservatism works out for them. And this is one where I think there was a period, uh, yeah, 15, 20 years ago where the product felt particularly stale, right? As everybody else was doing things with in-flight entertainment, but then by waiting, the game kind of came to them and they said, okay, well, you bring your own screen, but, but we'll, we'll provide the connectivity and the, and the content. And, and that's kind of what Alaska has done. Different philosophies. Again, look, personally, sure. Give me the screen. I, I'd rather have it than not. I enjoy it. But whether, you know, there's, as you said, the return on investment. And again, as you said, I think the key there, there's, it's one thing saying, do we proactively rip out the screens? But it's a whole other thing to say, do we put the screens back in? Again, want to emphasize, it's not that American has come out and said that they're studying this. This is a leak and there could be some truth to it. It could be that there's somebody studying it at some level, but it doesn't mean that it's a, a likely initiative. So uh, one of those things where it, it's just an interesting discussion, not something I want to emphasize where we're reporting that, that American is necessarily going to do this. Time now, Ben, for passengers behaving badly. And we managed to make it through a couple episodes without talking about any spirit passengers. Ah, but all good things must come to an end, right? And and sure enough, a man was removed from a Spirit Airlines flight before it took off from New York LaGuardia, bound for Fort Lauderdale, because he wouldn't wear a mask. The video of the incident is on Twitter. The airline called Port Authority Police when the man wouldn't comply in the video. Uh, You can hear the man telling the cops he's traveling to Florida to see his father, who had suffered a stroke. But apparently not wearing a mask was more important than seeing his father. The airline says he did finally choose to get off the flight on his own, adding, quote, Spirit will always err on the side of caution when it comes to the health and safety of our guests. Wearing a face covering is simple, it's easy, and it's critical to Spirit and the airline industry as a whole. We thank the thousands of guests and Spirit team members who do their part each day to protect each other. And we will continue to enforce the use of face coverings on board our aircraft. I do want to say, Ben, seriously for a minute, uh, you know, good job by the man and the police managing to avoid a bigger escalation. I mean, look, I don't agree with not wearing a mask. I'm glad airlines mandate it, but I'm glad he, you know, didn't get dragged off the plane or, or, or something like that. I'm glad that they it was resolved peacefully enough i just wish it hadn't even come to that well you know last week when we like labeled all people who don't wear masks on airplanes as passengers collectively behaving badly (laughs) yeah i mean this is a case where i think spirit did exactly the right thing they're protecting their employees they're protecting other people on the plane and i know it's not a law that that there's no law in the country that says you have to wear a mask on a plane just like there is a law that says you have to wear a seatbelt on a plane Right. right. But in the meantime, while we have this virus going on 
And everyone from the CDC to Dr. Fauci to even President Trump to every people say masks are a good thing and you should wear them and they actually help. For someone to choose the airplane as the time to make their political statement is just wrong. And I think Spirit did exactly the right thing here. I do too. Uh, well, how could a trip to Italy aboard a private jet go wrong? If you don't know the answer, you haven't yet heard the story we're going to cover in this week's Fine or Wine. Airlines Confidential will be right back. If you're an airline executive or somebody who deals with crew logistics, you know that this field is harder than ever. Crew lodging, all the rest of it. How do you keep track of all the changes? The answer is you don't. You call the experts at Hotel Connections. They've been doing this forever. They are the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. They'll work with you. And just as important nowadays, they'll do it in a budget-friendly way. So better service, under budget, you can't beat that. Go to hotelconnections.com. Again, hotelconnections with an S at the end, .com to find out more. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Final wine is next, but first, let's go back to the mailbag. Jose in Cologne, Germany writes, currently studying business engineering and uh, would like to pursue a master's in aviation management to work for an airline later on. Jose, what are you thinking? No, just <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Even when it's crazy, it's fascinating. Uh, I, I've been reading a comparison study between the A320neo, the, the newly engined A320, and the A320CO. It's a, it's a previous generation. The CEO is available with let's just say two different kinds of engines. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here for people who, and, and if you're not interested in engines, this gets interesting soon, I promise. Uh, the Neo is available with also two different kinds of engines. The CFM engine, that's a joint venture involving uh, GE, uh, the, the Leap, or the Pratt & Whitney engine. Uh, I'd like to know how an airline decides between engines. Would they go, and this is Jose characterizing it, would they go with the CFM engine because they might consume a bit more fuel, but they're easier to maintain? Or would they choose both engines to reduce the risk of having their fleet grounded in case there's a problem with either either engine type? Uh, ben Pratt and Whitney, you know, uh, claims to have the most efficient engines. Jose says, I've seen that Spirit Airlines operates the IAE that's on their um, – on the the older A320s and yeah exactly and 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 the Pratt and Whitney on the new ones so maybe Ben can tell us why this is the case I guess it also depends on each airline and what business model they have more engine types mean more maintenance costs or at least a slightly more complicated operation all true okay Ben uh, obviously a lot going on there but again just to sort of reframe it uh, with each series of A320s there have been two engine options. Uh, that's very different from the 737 MAX, by the way, which uh, comes with just one engine choice. So help us there. there. There's that question of the risk of having just one engine if something goes wrong with that one engine versus sort of splitting it. Are there any airlines that would purposely order two kinds of engines to avoid that? Or, Ben, is it more important just to have sort of the scale of the same engine on, on all your planes, at least all the ones with the same version? Well, there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, the two engines on the CO and the two engines on the NEO are almost the same companies in a sense. IAE, which stood for International Aero Engines, 
was a consortium of Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce, and two smaller players in the space to produce an engine for the A320 when it first came out back in the you know 1980s. When that plane came out, they said, we're going to produce an engine that will compete with General Electric, GE, who's a big maker of aircraft engines. And they created a company called IAE to produce an engine for that airplane. And then what happened is as the NEO was created, Pratt bought out Rolls and the other other players. So the Pratt engine on the NEO is effectively the the generational improvement on the IAE engine. It's not like it's a, a new company. So between the Pratt engine and the GE engine on the NEO, I was involved directly in that decision at Spirit. And I don't know of any airline in the world that by choice is operating both engines. That doesn't mean there aren't. There may be some, but I don't know of any that is operating both the GE and the Pratt engine on their A320neos. Most make a choice when they decide to buy that airplane and they say, we're going to buy that airplane with the GE engine or with the Pratt engine. And the difference, and if Jose's an engineer, you need to know, Jose, I'm not an engineer, but here's, here's, what, I can, <laughs> but here's what I can tell you about this. I mean, the GE engine was an engine they were already making and they sized it properly for the A320. And the good news of it was it didn't have as much risk in it because it wasn't really new technology. But the bad news of it was nobody felt, at least at the time it first came out, that that it would have any upside on the fuel burn. They would meet their target of a 15% fuel burn increase, but there wouldn't be really upside on that. Whereas Pratt had a better technology, this geared turbofan, but everybody thought there was risks of shrinking the size of that geared turbofan too, but they felt if it works, we might get even 16, 17, 18% fuel burn. So some airlines picked the Pratt engine because they thought there would be longer term, better fuel burn options. And they trusted Pratt enough as a company to say they'll get it right. Others said, we'll take the GE because it's the more certain thing. But I'll tell you what it really comes down to. Airline engines, and they're going to hate me for saying this, but they're kind of, they're, they're kind of like Gillette razors, right? <laughs> Which is... Yeah, Which this, is, is, this, this is the business model. Yeah, yep. this is the business model where they 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 give you the razor almost for free because they know the rest of your life you got to buy Gillette blades and they're going to yep. charge you through the nose for the Gillette blades. Right? <laughs> right? Now, now there are disruptors in that space too, right? But the point is that the cost of the Pratt and the GE engines isn't that prohibitive for the airline at the time they buy them. What the real cost is what airlines model is the long-term maintenance cost of the engine. What's it going to cost them to keep that engine running, to replace parts in that engine? What's it going to cost when they have to rebuild the engine? How long can it run on the wing before they have to take it off? Assuming yeah. the bird doesn't get sucked into it, right? Or something <laughs> like that. And that tends to be the real driver. And like any analysis, the assumptions you make can determine the result of the analysis. So some airlines are going to make assumptions around what they believe the long-term maintenance costs are going to be that are going to favor the Pratt engine. Some are going to be the GE engine. And the fact that those two engine companies have roughly 50-50 market share of the A320s in the world, meaning literally about half the A320s have the GE engine flying in the world and half have the Pratt engine. That tells you that both companies, both Pratt and GE, made a really good engine that lots of airlines are comfortable with. But the economic, the deal, when everyone compared it, Sometimes GE won that bid and sometimes Pratt won that bid. 
That's really what it comes down to. Well, Seth, finer wine is next. But first, if you live in America, are you a TSA PreCheck member who has ever seen me zoom past you in the security line at the airport and thought to yourself, oh, sure, those former airline CEOs get all the special privileges. My secret is the only thing special about me is that I'm a member of Clear, and you can be too. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds and without touching anything through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com. Clear is the perfect post-COVID answer to touchless throughput at the airport. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether the complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, I'll admit, I've fetched, you know, whined about a number of things over the course of my life, but never before have I complained after being denied entry to Italy when landing on a private jet in Cagliari. Yet that's exactly what happened to five Americans. CNN reports they were among 11 people on board a private jet. Immigration officials in Cagliari were ready to let the friends of the Americans, those people were from the UK, New Zealand, and Germany, by the way, but not the Americans, because they're not on a list of country whose citizens are allowed entry into Italy. We should note their friends are good friends indeed. Even though they could have ditched their dirty American travel mates, they all stuck together and flew to Birmingham in England. The UK has a mandatory 14-day quarantine for Americans, but it does let them into the country. Ben, anybody out there who has a kid who likes Thomas the Tank Engine knows uh, Gordon is this big engine who pulls the Express, and he has this catchphrase that he uses all the time when he feels like something's beneath him. He says, oh, the indignity. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The indignity of Americans showing up in Italy, of all places, where, you know, which obviously was, was... just tragically one of the worst early hotspots and them saying, no, you can't come in. It's not that just nobody could come in. It's it's, you Americans can't come in, even though these other folks can. I was thinking recently, Ben, remember David Letterman, the late night comedian in in America used used to have that top 10 list, right? It was a top 10 list. I was thinking nowadays he could do like the top 10 things more worthless than a U.S. passport. Right, <laughs> right, and, and look, this is all gonna, all gonna pass. But can you imagine? So, let, so let me ask you now. Th- these people again. This is just a story that we read. We don't know if they whined, but I have to imagine they weren't pleased. What do you think here? I mean, whose whose fault was this? I think this is the problem with entitlement in the world. <laughs> I think if you can, because because everybody knows, everybody knows right now. It's it's unfortunate for whatever you think of it. The reality is that America, we can't go to Italy. That's just. But if but if your but if your bubble is so small that you don't care what the rest of the world does because you have your own private jet that's going to take you to Italy, you might not know that, as these people didn't know that. I think if they whined about this, they have no one to blame but themselves. The law that Americans can't go into Italy right now was very well known. It was very clear. The fact that they couldn't find an Alitalia plane anywhere in the United States should have helped them. All right. right. And so this is crazy. I just think it's amazing that the pilot didn't say something, that nobody said anything, that they just had their American passports and said the whole world's going to let us in. That is such a crazy attitude, and I can't imagine 
that any normal traveler would have done it. But I do understand why someone who would fly their own private jet might be that out of it. <laughs> ben, you want to know why I have particularly little sympathy here? The only reason that I know anything about Calgary is because I've been there. It's it's the biggest city on the island of Sardinia. So you have the you know, sort of the, the two big islands. Everybody knows uh, Sicily, probably the more famous one in terms of global travel, and then Sardinia. And I was in Calgary once. And let me tell you how I got there and away. I flew Ryanair from London Stansted, if I'm recalling correctly, down to Algaro. This is back late 2002. To Algaro, which is a smaller city in Sardinia. Then I took a bus from Algaro to Sassari. And then a bus from Sassari to Cagliari. I mean, like, really humble bus. I was traveling with my friend Jay Shabbat, who I worked with Airline Weekly all those years. And we were friends long before that even. And then from Cagliari where we spent New Year's Eve 2003, I remember it, all very memorable, beautiful fireworks concert, everything there. How we got from Cagliari to the mainland was on an overnight ferry, just like sleeping in seats, you know, like like no, not even cabin or anything. From there to, I guess it would have been Cittavecchia, the port that serves Rome. And don't remember getting much sleep. Remember, I remember um, buying ramen noodles in a store in Calgary for t- to have as dinner on the ferry, and asking a bartender to pour hot water into them. <laughs> yeah, and, and he didn't want to do it. I gave him like a euro for for uh, to, to give us the hot water. So that is how we got to Calgary and away from Calgary. So yeah. The private jet. You know, Seth, the other thing about this, this is amazing, is I bet had they bought their private jet from one of these fractional companies like ExoJet or NetJets or something like that, I bet those companies would have told them, well, here are the laws right now, where are all the passports from? And they would have been protected that way too. I would think so. And I don't even know the the, the details in terms of, you know, whose jet it was. I just know it was uh, not uh, not the way most of us, even those of us who get to Calgary more comfortably than I did, (laughs) not the way most of us uh, get there. Well, on final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429, or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And with a special shout out to Seabury Capital, Hotel Connections, Clear, and the Boyd Conference, I'm Ben Baldanza. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.